the question that we want to deal with today, why is vulnerability in community is essential for transformation? Hello and welcome again to another episode in our teaching series, which we've titled A Band of Disciples. And our heart prayer and our purpose behind this whole series, long series, mind you, is to encourage you and to assist you in becoming the best discipler you can be. To, to walk alongside and journey alongside Jesus' followers who want to grow and develop and multiply and influence their networks for the sake of Jesus. And uh, this whole metaphor of bands is basically, uh, you know, our way of saying that discipling occurs best in community. Discipling occurs best in community, in common unity, in environments, the same environments that Jesus used um, uh, in order to disciple people. Uh, and and the, the, the early church facilitated a community and educationalists throughout uh, the ages have worked closely uh, with, with uh, the concept of uh, learning together through interactions, through participation, and our own uh, personal experiences, maybe your own, uh, you could reflect back and say uh, some of the greatest seasons of development and transformation for my life uh, took place in community. And that's why here at GenJ, our team is in investing all the energy that we could to multiply as many of these community groups as we could possibly master. You know why? Because our conviction is, at, is that, that a transparent community reveals and shapes. A trans, not any community, a transparent community reveals and shapes, reveals who we are and shapes what we can become. A transparent community reveals who we are, reveals who your disciples are, reveals to themselves their nature, but it also shapes what they can become. And we mentioned that briefly in our last uh, uh, connection together in our last episode. But the point that I promised I will share uh, that the characteristics that, that the characteristic that is most foundational in a discipling community, that it's transparent. It's a transparent group because um, God, um, you know, works with us uh, in our weakness, pain and vulnerability. I, I read this quote in, in a transformational discipleship book. Uh, it says this, Transformation often occurs when disciples are in a posture of weakness, independence, and without what focus. They said that God works in our weakness, pain, and vulnerability. A transformation, they said, doesn't occur just with more information, but with a vulnerable environment. Because guess what? We're all familiar with environments where we can sit down, listen to something, you know, cheerful or even challenging, doesn't really matter. But the reality, don't ask me what I'm going to do with that. 
Don't ask me what's going on in my own personal life. You could, I could even give you the best possible sermon about humility and I could be harboring pride. I could give you the best possible sermon on purity and I could be in the dark in some of my habits. You know, I could give you the best uh, possible sermon on discipling others and it's a matter of just expertise and I don't practice what I live. And as long as you don't know what's going on in my life, my life is safe and not being transformed. <laughs> That's why our team has invested ridiculous amount of energy to multiply these communities of disciples. And um, recently, uh, I have been, um, you know, speaking with someone I know uh, in a different uh, in a different country who introduced me to a group of people who want to be disciples, who want to be discipled. But their heart is to, uh, you know, I was told their heart is also to disciple others. They have been, uh, you know, immersed in a particular Christian tradition and a particular way of doing discipling for so long that it's become part and parcel of who they are. They they only familiar with a Bible study that's deep, you know. So um, as we began our few sessions of discipling, maybe about five sessions of discipling, they realized uh, that, uh, you know, we do uh, two things in the first few sessions. Uh, we do a Bible uh, narrative that we study and communicate about and ask questions and engage in discussions, as well as we do something called reflective practice, where we need to be vulnerable. We need to share some of our experiences over the last two weeks. And we, and we come, it doesn't have to be something profound. It can be a highlight. It can be a low light. It can be anything in between. Just a story of something that occurred, an experience uh, that you had over the past couple of weeks. So um, they've been giving me, um, you know, good vibes, so to speak. But I did notice over time, um, they, because this has been a 10-week period, um, I, I noticed over time that some of them don't seem willing to share anything meaningful. So they either muck around and joke and, and, and change the topic, or they say something that is so superficial, it's, it's, you know, it's very hard to imagine people who are of that caliber have had such two weeks of superficiality. Uh, and I kept praying and enduring, praying and enduring it. But at one stage, I, I wrote in, in a message to the group, I say, please come prepared with a story to share because we're not going to do pass anymore. You know, some, some people uh, got in the habit of saying, hey, what would you like to share with us today? And so, oh, no, pass. It's like, I have got nothing to share. And uh, anyway, I received a call uh, from my friend who introduced me to those uh, people that I've been working with. And he said to me, look, how are you doing with the group? I said, great, there's some really good things happening. I'm connecting with, with people uh, individually, connecting with them in the group. And I, I think that some people are really ready to, 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 to go forward and rock and roll. <laughs> and, um, and after he heard me politely, he said to me, look, I, I, I met with the group and you know, spent uh, you know, an evening together and they mentioned to me that they really love the Bible narrative. So, that's good. <laughs> they like something. And uh, they love, you know, the, the, the way that we're teaching the scripture and, and so on. But 63% of, of, that, of, of that group members, they genuinely don't like that reflective practice that you're, you're doing. 
So, wow, that's a, that's a vote of confidence right there. Uh, they don't like the, why don't they like the reflective practice? You know, he said some people are saying, you know, they're not used to it. Others are saying, you know, they really didn't have much to share at all and they feel pressured that they, they have to share. And, uh, and some are blaming themselves that maybe they're not in a spiritual stage of, of sharing like that with others. And I, I heard him. But I definitely don't believe that it's a spiritual stage thing. I believe these people are God-honoring people. They love God. Uh, they genuine people. It's nothing to do with uh, necessarily with their spiritual uh, capacity or their stage of development. So uh, why do we fear vulnerability like these people? What, 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 what is it that creates this tension in our hearts where we, we, we seem to be reluctant to engage in communities which are vulnerable communities when, when this is one of the most profound feature of transformative communities? Let me suggest to you a three simple um, observations I've had about the difficulty that some people have with the idea of vulnerability. But before I do that, I want to confess two things. Is me, I also initially struggled with the idea of vulnerability. So I am never pointing the finger at anyone. I genuinely struggled with sharing vulnerably and transparently uh, with a group of people. I was used to uh, sharing maybe with one person, but with a group of people, that was hard. And then... I want to also say that you can't point the finger at anybody because do you remember what Adam and Eve did when they stuffed up with God? <laughs> they didn't go and transparently confess what was going on. They hid from God. You know, I would like to say that vulnerability is not natural to our old self. It is part of our bones to be not vulnerable. <laughs> This is something that is in our selfish, self-focused, natural self that we are just not vulnerable uh, people. But there are at least three things that provoke that in our midst today. We have, some of us, a culture of shame and honor where if you express weakness or a flaw or a sin or something of that, you, you, you feel ashamed. And the, the, the feeling of shame is a devastating feeling because it works, uh, it, it deals with you as a person. So guilt uh, is, is, is different and sadness and anger with yourself is different. Shame speaks of who you are. You look negatively upon yourself. You're not feeling guilty about an action anymore. You're actually feeling down upon yourself. And that comes because if we, if other people, we imagine other people look down upon us or see us in a negative light, we begin to see ourselves in the same light. This is the whole concept of groups. So we have some cultures that avoid this transparently at all costs. But most of us, are not familiar with vulnerability in Christian context. Granted, some Christian traditions and some groups have excelled in, in this particular arena. They're familiar 
uh, with, with the concept of being transparent and vulnerable. There are some groups that have, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, all the top groups that have uh, started out. In fact, the Methodist uh, movement, which I'll talk about in a few sessions, started out with this concept of vulnerability in, in the class meeting and in the band meeting. But there's also contemporary environments where people connect in accountability groups and, and, and they are familiar with it. But for the great majority of us Christians, we sit in pews comfortably, we attend Bible studies comfortably, we don't want someone to peer through what's going on on the inside and to um, ask us some personal questions. Uh, also, the idea of acceptance. We, 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 we fear being uh, rejected more than anything else in life. So we imagine that if we are vulnerable, we can't guarantee that the person on the other side of me is still going to have the same respect and acceptance of me as prior to me sharing uh, this uh, um, you know, uh, vulnerable information about myself. So uh, we build a facade, we, we put on a, a mask that portray us in light that is better than what we really are on the inside. And we, only, we don't do that to be dodgy, we do that so we can protect our hearts from rejection. So uh, the question that we want to deal with today, why is vulnerability in community is essential for transformation? Why is vulnerability in community is essential for transformation? That's what I want to uh, address with you from a very uh, beautiful passage. Uh, come to think of the Methodist, uh, early Methodists would use that particular passage as an introduction to, uh, to their endeavor, to their practice of transparency and vulnerability. It comes from the book of James. Um, a letter written by the brother of Jesus and uh, chapter 5 from verses 13 to 16. And that's what it says. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And just uh, a couple of observation, uh, observations here in the start of that text. It's speaking of lived experiences. And the group of people are aware of each other's lived experiences. Some are in trouble. Some are happy, some are sick, some have sinned. Uh, you know, there is a, 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 an illusion here that our lived experiences, our circumstances of life is known and it's appreciated and it's dealt with in a spiritual way. That means uh, that the first thing that comes to my mind out of that is that our experiences are important for our development. We need to bring our experiences 
to the foreground of our spiritual awareness. Not just say, oh, that's secular experience. I'm just troubled at work. I'm just, uh, you know, happy with this new thing. Oh, I'm just feeling a little sick. No, it's converting every uh, ordinary experience into an opportunity for meaning and development. Isn't that brilliant? You know, so if we have communities that are fully focused on discussions, biblical discussions. You know, we could be talking today about joy in the Lord. Philippians chapter, uh, you know, all of Philippians, but maybe uh, the beginning of chapter four. And, and, and somebody might have had just a car accident and they're like, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, I'll have to talk about that. You know, uh, three, four reasons uh, in, in, in developing a cheerful uh, disposition. And, and nobody knows that that person is 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 had a difficult day you know it's not saying if you're in trouble sing songs of praise maybe maybe that could be but but, but here is the the, the writer uh, the apostle james is is aligning our personal experiences with our interactions and with others and our reactions to the circumstances in a godly spiritual way our experiences are our teachers in the curriculum of life but then he says if they have sinned they will be forgiven okay well that's getting a little bit different from trouble happy and sick <laughs> You know, asking me to be that transparent, Peter? I, I don't think, no, 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 no. Mate, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and cleanse us from all. It's between me and God, man. Yeah, that's, you know, only one mediator between uh, man and God is Jesus Christ. It's the only one we confess to, is it? Okay, how about what? Let James, the brother of Jesus, uh, express that to us. He says, therefore, in the next verse, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And not for a single second, hear me pointing a finger at anyone. I am in your same boat. I am in the same a way of, uh, you know, confronting this urge to keep my sins private and my wins public. I don't know about you, but it seems so natural to keep my flaws under the carpet and to place my trophies on top of the cabinet. Something so natural, humanly natural about ignoring, about hiding, I guess we're related to Adam and Eve somehow. But the scripture encourages us that yes, you can confess not as a humiliation, but as a healing process. Not to humiliate you in the process, but to heal you in the process. And you know what? Maybe like me, you have, you know, uh, pressured yourself to share with somebody you trust or a group of people you trust a decision, a stupid decision you made or, or opened up about a motive that nobody would have known about you or go and confess a particular thought, uh, that negative thought you had towards somebody. And you and I know in those little glimpses, the freedom that comes from that. The scripture is not lying to say, 
so that you may be healed. And, and, and I wonder if, if we don't confess, if that sentence will be the condition of it will change. So if we don't confess, does that still remain so that you may be healed? Or is it that we remain in a, in a, in a condition, in a, in, a, in a state of being at least emotionally or spiritually unwell? And our Heavenly Father wants us to be in community that is safe and honorable and accepting and genuinely caring, where everybody knows that they're just as vulnerable. And because we are all under the same heavy burden, as as the chapter goes on to say that we're all people of weakness, just like Elijah in the remainder of James 5. We're all human beings with weaknesses. And as we observe our vulnerability, we accept everyone with the same acceptance that Jesus gives us. And the acceptance of Jesus does not become a theory that you read a verse and you put it on the mirror or you put it to memory, but, but, but a verse that you see in the life of the Jesus body. You see the acceptance and the love and the care exhibited in reality. They say, man, there is such a thing as grace. There is such a thing that I could could do something that, that, that I don't appreciate about myself, but people don't treat me with the same way that I would like to treat myself. Actually, people reflect the love of Jesus to us. So friends, we are are in a process where we need to help each other even with our sins. But not only that, when we wonder, look at how uh, James finishes off that passage. He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth, they, they believers, he says, but any of you wonder from the truth and someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. My goodness. How would you help somebody turn from their error unless they were transparent with you? Unless they, you, you're able to peek into their life and be in close proximity to assist in some way. And it brings supernatural blessing to every person in that community who's been involved. So why do we facilitate uh, von, uh, you know, environment of, of vulnerability? I have mentioned some of uh, these ideas before. I want to go over it quickly so that you know the relationship between that and vulnerability. I'm going to use the same concept we used before. There are three simple reasons uh, we uh, facilitate vulnerability so we can draw meaning so that we can become mirrors for each other and so we can develop muscles. And in a few minutes I've got, I just want to give you practical ideas of how we do that. So drawing meaning. So our way of uh, facilitating vulnerability and transparency in our communities of disciples, which you may would like to have a go at doing, is to allow people to share an experience. But once they share an experience, we ask them some questions to clarify uh, the rationale behind those experiences and to derive meaning. And, and obviously in some situations, we are a little bit on the superficial layer, obviously early on in the group's life. But eventually we derive meaning 
that goes so much deeper than the behavior level. You know, I yelled at that person. You know what? Next time I'm not going to yell at that person. You know, I upset my uh, spouse. I'm just going to go and say sorry. That's admirable. Please don't misunderstand me. But that's a first layer type of reflection on our experiences. We draw some meaning, but the deeper meaning comes as we understand our core reasons for that. Our assumptions, our convictions, what is behind that, our feelings and our desires. You know, why we did what we did, really. Yeah, so we drive, de derive meaning from our ordinary experiences and we discover who am I by the stories we share and the way others see us. So, uh, m uh, you know, we know, and you probably know, that we, to some extent, we construct ourselves to ourselves by the story we share. Uh, we understand who we are when we uh, put together an edit, because life is like a movie. You can't possibly grab all the stimulus and all the information that coming at you from every direction because you're alive 24-7, right? Your, your self-concept will be so crazy. But we draw bits and pieces. We edit our view of ourselves. We edit our view of ourselves by the story we choose to share. And, and as we begin to share with our community the stories of our lives, that which stands out to us, we actually begin to see who we are. And when others respond to us or share things uh, from God about us or about what we can be, we begin to see, yeah, I'm like that. I acted like this. I really acted out of character. But they telling me I could act like this and I have the capacity in Jesus to act like that. Because I'm united to God Almighty on the inside. Man, I'm getting to know myself better in that community. By the stories we share and by the reactions people have to our stories, their acceptance, their, their uh, prophetic words, their prayers, and, and their support. The second thing that happens when we are, when we are talking uh, together um, in, in this environment, uh, particularly in the... In a, in a reflective practice environment where we, we, we share transparently, we, we become mirrors to each other so we can see what can I become. And how do we know that? By the stories that others share and what God says to them and to us. So when we share our stories, we derive meaning. When we hear other people share their stories. You know, I hear this person uh, just a few weeks ago was saying, you know, she wants to uh, really spend time with God. She doesn't want to derive, uh, deprive God for her time with her. And she doesn't want to deprive herself from time with God. And, and she was so like feeling like this was such a delightful experience to spend time with God daily in worship. And I'm like, wow, that's what we like. Uh, you know, to delight in Jesus. That's, that's what I can become as well. You know, not rob God or deprive myself from this beautiful experience of being consumed in God's worship. By the stories others shares, we see a trajectory of what we can become. We see a mirror, or not just of who we are, but what 
we can become. And as, as people share prophetic words, we say, oh my goodness, th this is what God is breathing into my future. In a verse or an image or whatever it might be, it's breathing, uh, you know, uh, something out of nothing into my future. And the last thing in our vulnerability that is so meaningful is that when we share and reflect on our experiences, when people begin to ask us some questions, when we stop and pray and we seek a word from God, and then when we say, okay, what am I going to do about this? How am I going to work differently in similar situations? What we're doing is we learn how can we live wisely. We begin to develop muscles of wisdom because wisdom is making the right decision at the right time, with the right motives, for the right purpose. And, and that's what happens when we begin to learn, not just reflect after what happens, but reflect in the midst of what happens. And, and we, 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 we learn to examine our assumptions, which in turn, it changes our amends, our desires, which in turn fuels our effort, which gives us competencies and reveals who we are. And, and it changes our ways of uh, uh, the values and our convictions, which allows the cycle to go on and on and on. Why? Because we develop the capacity and the muscles to be able to reflect all the time. Why am I doing this? What triggered me? How can I do this different? What would God have me do in this situation? Rather than stuff it up and regret it later, we make the right choice at the right time. I pray that you feel empowered and encouraged to insist on a vulnerable, transparent community that reveals and shapes the disciples' uh, identity and destiny. We pray for you. We trust God to lead you every step of the way as you invest time, energy, and resources to see the people you're discipling to be more like Jesus. That's what brings God the greatest joy. Thank you for making your heavenly Father so pleased and proud of the transformation that's taking place because of your little investment in the people that He adores. May God bless you. Look forward to being with you in our next session. <music>